recovered completely. So that's a good thing, too. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and then we'll pick up again in Exodus chapter 12. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have again to close out another Lord's Day in your house. We thank you for these that are here. Teach us from your word this evening. These, uh, this tremendous passage on the Passover, we were reminded this morning uh, in Sunday school about Christ being the Paschal Lamb, being the Passover Lamb. And so guide us into the truth of your word this evening. We pray for the ones, uh, Father, that we've mentioned, but also for those that uh, escape our uh, memory or for one reason or another. We can't recall them. We thank you that you're omniscient, so we lift them up. We pray that you would intervene on each according to your will, restore them. We thank you for answered prayer on behalf of so many here at Flat Creek and continue to work in the hearts and lives of others. Fail to mention uh, Stephanie and Craig, continue to pray for them uh, this evening. And Father, for whatever is accomplished, we'll not forget to thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we closed out last Sunday night <clears throat> with uh, a basically an Old Testament summary of the Passover. We looked at some of these uh, passages there in that first bullet, so I'm not going to repeat those again tonight. I think one of the, one of the in interesting things uh, is that the Passover was kept faithfully until the time of the judges, and then it became, uh, it was, I won't say overlooked, I think it was probably just dis disregarded, and uh, it was not... Uh, Interesting, interestingly enough, it was not held at all during the time of the early kings of Israel. So <clears throat> that is unfortunate. But toward the end of the captivity period, they did begin, the he Hebrews again, be, uh, to celebrate the Passover. And so that's what we're looking at here in this, uh, in chapter 12. And I'll I think we might get down through verse 8 tonight. I'm not sure. But anyway, let's read the first four verses. This is one of the longest chapters in the book of Exodus. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. So <clears throat> Israel is on the brink, the Hebrews are on the brink of being released by the Egyptians. And so this begins, chapter 12 begins a... Um, a unique focus uh, of Yahweh toward Israel and a new beginning. And the Lord, uh, I think I mentioned closing out last Sunday evening that uh, the Lord instituted a change in their calendar, which uh, uh, begins with the month of uh, Nisan, and we've talked about that previously last Sunday evening. So this he says is, uh, is going to be the beginning of your months, and you're going to number this, number your time on earth from this particular month. Uh, and so this, the new year would now start on their release from 
Egypt. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan wrote this, God is ever the God of new beginnings in the history of failure. The ultimate statement is found in the apocalypse in the words, Behold, I make all things new. Now, the apocalypse is just another name for the book of Revelation. And indeed, in, in chapter 22 of the book of Revelation, the Lord says, Behold, I make all things new. If you would, brother, the next slide. <clears throat> Spurgeon, in one of his messages, said, you, you commence a nation's annals from its evangelization. Okay, when it came to a, an understanding of the gospel. Now, this is Old Testament, but still, there was the gospel, the promise of the gospel. He says, you begin the chronicle of a people from the day when they bow at the feet of Jesus. And that's what we're seeing here, although, as in all cultures, not everyone is, uh, subscribes to the, uh, uh, the new beginnings that is uh, mentioned here. Um, another commentary, or another commentator, said, speak to all, when it says, speak to all the congregation of Israel, he said, this is the first occurrence in the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch of the first five books of the Bible. And that's all you need to remember. Uh, of what was to become a technical term, describing Israel in its religious sense, and which underlies the New Testament use of the word ecclesia, which is, the ch uh, which is Greek for church. It's also, it, just, it means called out assembly. You and I are here, here tonight. We're separate from the world. We're called out, and we're here. <clears throat> and on the Lord's day, we are to be in the Lord's house. Uh, that is one of the, the doctrine of the church in many cases, is one of the most uh, disregarded and, unfortunately, just uh, ignored doctrinal teachings in the Word of God. And that's sad. That is sad. There are many people today, and you've heard me say this hundreds of times, that have a God talk but not a God walk. And so part of that God walk is to be in the house and go, well, I've been hurt. So... <laughs> As, I would, as my dad would tell me as a boy, he said, get over it and get on with life. Everyone's been hurt. So that's what the church is for. The church is for hurting individuals. The church is the body of Christ. And how we obey the Lord in being in his house is representative of how much we love the Lord. So just remember that. Calvin wrote this. The Passover taught the Israelites that it was not lawful for them to have regard to any other God other than their Redeemer. And also that it was just and right for them to consecrate themselves to his service since he had restored them from death to life. He represented to their eyes his grace and desired that they should on every succeeding year recognize what they had formerly experienced, lest it should depart from their memory. And we do a similar thing. Now, we don't celebrate Passover, but we certainly celebrate Easter, which is the, <clears throat> Easter was a pagan holiday uh, hundreds of years ago. And we also celebrate Christmas, which was likewise a pagan holiday, Saturnalia. So, but we recognize these as particular holidays, holy days, that we observe, one that recognizes the birth of our Savior and one, of course, the, <clears throat> the passion of our Savior. 
So this is just an institution, and, and Calvin says <laughs> it was not lawful for them to have regard to any other God other than the Redeemer. We're going to learn that if, in uh, chapters 19 and 20 when the giving of the law first occurs. <clears throat> so there are lots of parallels <clears throat> between the Passover, okay, what, this, what's called the, the Seder meal, it's just a Hebrew word for Passover meal, <clears throat> and the Lord's Supper. And we, uh, as a church here at Flat Creek, we have uh, uh, faithfully, since I've been here, and I'm sure even before that, but about, about every two months or so, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, <clears throat> which commemorates the Passover. Jesus... Uh, recognized the Passover. He celebrated the Passover. He became the Passover lamb. And then on the night he was betrayed, Luke says he took bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is the new covenant, the new covenants. Yeah, I'm recognizing what took place in Exodus, but there's something even greater here than there was in Exodus. And so he... Uh, uses that time to institute, we sometimes call it communion, uh, it is the Lord's Supper, <clears throat> and during that we uh, are, the Spirit is to cause you and I to remember the Lord's salvation, and we also to recommit ourselves to his <clears throat> service, that is part of being wise. When we come to the Lord's table, it is a time of reflection. It is a time that we should actively seek to be involved in. Very, very serious and very sober time, just as this is, just as the Passover is. So the first four verses is a new beginning. Look at verses 5 through 7. <clears throat> we just talked, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, your lamb, verse 5, shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and now you shall keep it unto the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. For several weeks now, I mentioned to you that <clears throat> the Lord prescribes the way he is to be worshipped. We don't get a choice in the matter. I know there's some churches that say we, we, need, we need lights, we need camera, we need action, but we don't find that in Scripture. Not that it is outside of the realm, but what we have in Scripture is very, very worshipful. It's not meant to entertain. It's meant to bring us to a point to where we are humbled before God. And so we see that, begin to see that here in this particular passage when the Lord, through Moses, tells the Hebrew children, you're going to select a lamb or a goat, either one, but a, <clears throat> a, uh, a kid, basically, and you're to do it on the 10th day of the first month. Each family or household, and usually that was up to about 10, uh, during this time being slaves in Egypt, it was not unusual for there to be a number of individuals in a family, and <clears throat> families typically uh, 
live together. That would be moms and dads, brothers and sisters, could be aunts and uncles, grandmoms, grand, grandpops, all of these would, uh, in many cases, would be in a family. And so that's the reason for the distinction that the Lord makes here. And <clears throat> the lamb was to be a pet <clears throat> with the family for four days on the Passover. There were some uh, of the Hebrew families that would keep it for even longer than that. But uh, the purpose of that, of course, was to become acquainted with, the, to, uh, acquainted and attached to the animal itself. In, in a similar manner, it's, not, it's not, certainly not like uh, God the Father's relationship with God the Son, but in a similar manner to that relationship that exists within the Trinity. Next slide, if you would, uh, Tim. <clears throat> so the lamb became part of the family. You, you have pets. Uh, and it's interesting how close the, uh, the pets uh, are in your family. And <laughs> in many cases, you will talk to your pets better than you do your family. Uh, and that's, that's the reflection here. These are, and, and I know you have great, uh, except for those of you that have cats, so if you have dogs, you have great pets, okay? Those of you that have cats, not so much. Um, but the thing here is that these animals, uh, as much as we love them, are, are not cognizant of love. They respond to our affection for their own well-being. Does that sound like human beings? But we sometimes respond to affection for our own well-being. So, take the lamb, take it inside your family for the four days, <coughs> beginning on the tenth day, and on the fourteenth day, it was loved, and it was in the congregation. They say uh, there in verse 6, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Now, this was literally thousands of lambs or kids. Thousands. And the purpose, of course, was to take the blood. They were to, to, to kill it, roast it, and it talks about eating it here as we go through this. But the blood was to be, uh, was to be splattered along the door, the lentils of the door on either side and on the top. And every house that had that, the destroyer passed over. And every house that did not have that, and that included Hebrew households, if, they, if there were some agnostics among the Hebrews, they would lose their... Uh, firstborn children as well. For it was the sign of the blood that caused the Lord to pass over the uh, Hebrews. So uh, the, when it talks about too small for the lamb, the rabbis later determined there should be at least 10 people. We talked about that. There were to be no more than 20. We, the, the estimate now is there were mm, certainly a million, maybe even close to 2 million Hebrews in Egypt at this time. So you do the arithmetic and that's, that's a lot of lambs. 
flock of goats. <clears throat> so Passover began before there was a temple, before there was the tabernacle, before there was an altar, and before there were priests. So the Lord instituted this before he actually established the rigors of how the priest would take care of the sacrifice, how the altar was to be built and prepared, how the meeting temple or, or meeting t um, tent or the tabernacle was to be constructed, and certainly long before the temple. Solomon was the first one to construct the temple, and that was uh, in the neighborhood of uh, about uh, four to 500 years after this. So the point here is that we, we look for, and we, the Lord's blessed us with a beautiful, beautiful building. Uh, we've been looking at in insurance and perhaps changing the insurance here, and when you start, uh, you've got stained glass. And if you know anything about stained glass, they just don't make it like they used to. And so when you look at the glass in this sanctuary, you're looking at quite a bit of good old American dollars. Well, this is beautiful, and it adds to the, the, uh, uh, the beauty of the sanctuary. I don't know that it helps us worship any, any better than, than a church that doesn't have this, but one of the things that we learn is that at this particular point in time, these, these people were slaves. So they didn't have a lot of material things. didn't matter to the Lord. And remember, mentioned this last week, <clears throat> the only livestock that remained in Egypt was the livestock that the Hebrews owned, or the Hebrews had. All the rest of the livestock had been killed by the previous plagues, the Egyptian livestock. So when you start to take thousands of lambs or kids, kid being goats, and you start killing them, that was one of the most precious commodities in Egypt at that time. So the Lord demands, and this is why it's called sacrifice. He demands uh, to put him first, as Calvin said in the previous slide, that we put the Redeemer first and that we make a sacrifice. Uh, the lamb was going to be without blemish, and that's one of the reasons it was to be a lamb, because as they aged, obviously, uh, sheep, like uh, other creatures, um, have all sorts of maladies. And he said you can take it from, it can be either a, a lamb from sheep or it could be a kid from the goats. Um, and that's the Hebrew word there, which I have listed, is uh, we would pronounce that she, I think the Hebrews pronounce it shahi, is quite a neutral word, and should be translated the head of a small stock. Now, when we get to the book of Leviticus, we're told the story about the, the, scape, the sacrificial lamb and the scapegoat and how the priests were to lay their hands on the heads of these two animals, one of which was going to be sacrificed and the other one was going to be turned out into the wild to represent sin being placed on an animal and leaving the domain and the abode of God. So that word applies equally to sheep and goats of any age. Um, 
And Jesus himself in Matthew 25 tells a parable about uh, uh, the separation of the separating of the sheep from the goats. And this is perhaps a reference back to what's taking place here in Exodus chapter 12. Now the lamb was to be killed at twilight, okay, so at, in the dusk time of the day. Now by the time Jesus is crucified, that would have been moved to about noon. And being one of the reasons that was the case is because there were more people in Palestine at that time when Jesus was alive than there were at this particular point in time. And so it was estimated that there could have been as many as a quarter of a million lambs that were slaughtered on that Passover Friday. So in order to expedite things, it takes a lot of priests and it takes a lot of lambs, takes a lot of shepherds, takes a lot of people to take care of a quarter of a million animals. And, <clears throat> and the blood, of course, that uh, as the slaughter was taking place, the blood would run uh, down the Temple Mount in Christ's day and did this in Solomon's day in Zerubbabel's temple and so forth. Herod's temple, it would run down. It was designed so that the blood would run from the altar down through a vein into, in Christ's time, the Kidron Valley and the brook that ran. So the brook itself actually turned blood red. So <clears throat> the lamb was killed at twilight in uh, the Passover, the initial Passover. Uh, another commentary says that Christ came in the evening of the world, and that basically means talking about the last hour. And he would use that phrase in teaching his disciples. Now is the last hour. We're still, to a certain extent, in that last hour. When all lay buried in darkness in the eventide of our sin and our death, the light of the world came to the darkness of men's soul and men's sin. And so that's some of the reference that we see here. Next slide, if you would, brother. <clears throat> so let's look at verses 8 through 11. So place the, the blood on the lintel of the houses. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roast it in fire. With unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boil it at all. With water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with the belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hands, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So <clears throat> take the blood. It, we, are, we are told there in verse 7, put it on the two doorpost we've already talked about that and before the lamb was already killed it was, had been slaughtered basically by slitting its throat before the lamb was eaten its blood had to be applied to the doorway uh, the topping on each side the blood was the only part of the sacrifice that was given to God the rest was for the consumption of the families and you will notice that we are told uh, with no, in no uncertain terms, you roast it. Now, roasting, and certainly I'm not a cook, but 
in Moses' day, and perhaps throughout the Bible, I'm, I'm sure, and still in some parts of the world today, if you boil meat, apparently you can prepare it quicker than if you roast it. And that's one of the reasons. There was, there was some thought to be given to what was taking place to this pet lamb. Okay? The blood was applied to the top, each side of the doorway, and as it dripped down, often on the door, it would form a cross. Not this type of cross, but this type of cross. So, obviously a, a symbol of what was to take place uh, hundreds of years in the future. <clears throat> now, here's the other thing. Not here in Egypt, but when they got to the Promised Land and they started to celebrate the Passover, the lentils of the house were not to be cleaned. So every year, as the Passover was celebrated and the blood was placed on these lentils, over time, obviously, there was, it, it built up. This, again, was to be used to teach the children. So uh, a very interesting thing when you, uh, when you stop and think about it. Always a remembrance when you left a home or you went into a home of the blood. Now again, we, we, we live in a very sanitized time. And not so in past years. <clears throat> So just a, a, another uh, reason for the instructions that the Lord gave to the Hebrew people. Spurgeon again in another sermon, the Paschal Lamb was not killed in order to be looked at only, but to be eaten. And our Lord Jesus Christ has not been slain merely that, he may, that we may hear about him, talk about him and think about him, but that we may feed upon him. John chapter 6, uh, Jesus goes at, uh, to great lengths teaching about eating my flesh, drinking my blood. In fact, people thought he was crazy. Uh, many of them did. But that was the, that's precisely what he is referring to here is Passover. He's Passover lamb. Eat my flesh, the roasted flesh of the lamb of God. Drink my blood, which is used, obviously, on the lentils of the doorpost. And then we are told, uh, the Lord tells, tells, uh, tells the Hebrew people that uh, <clears throat> consume it all. All of it. None of it remained until morning. Uh, that meant the liver. That meant, uh, as he says here, he says the head, the head. With its head with its legs and its entrails. You eat it all. Now, we're typically a people today that don't eat organs. Some of you may eat liver, that type of thing. Of course, that would be here as well. But we don't eat, some people have eaten. I've never eaten pig's brains. I don't know if anybody, have you ever done that? <laughs> I haven't either. Pigs' brains or all these other things. My, my wife's grandfather would eat uh, pig's feet and cow's tongue. And hey, when I was in uh, Australia 
years ago. Uh, one of the delicacies in Australia was oxtail. Every once in a while, you'll see it in, in stores here in town. But it's a delicacy, and um, it commands a high price. Well, it's th same thing here. Eat it all. Nothing is to remain. You drain the blood, you use the blood for that particular purpose, and you make sure that you consume it. Passover lamb was eaten completely. And that uh, is a lot of, uh, if you want to talk about energy food or protein or whatever, there's a lot of protein in all of these entrails and so forth. So they weren't uh, necessarily interested in living to be 80 or 90, although Moses lived to be 120, so apparently it didn't bother him too much. Um, and I have not run across anybody that knows anyone that has lived to be 120 in our lifetime, so just remember that. The lamb was for right then. There was an immediacy to doing this. And you're to consume it, and you're not going back. Once the command is given, you're going. And that's why it says make sure that you're, uh, you'll eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You will eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So this is a reminder that we take all of Jesus, not just the, the loving Jesus, which obviously when we take Jesus, he's loving. But we take all of Jesus. We take the Jesus that was the critic. We've been talking about that on Sunday morning. We take Jesus that was the, the uh, correcting agent. We take Jesus that was the teacher. We take Jesus that is the compassionate hearer of our prayers. We take all of Jesus. We take Jesus who's going to be the judge at the great white throne. We, we take him all. We don't get to discriminate. He doesn't discriminate with us. And so we also need to be reminded of that. I think this is the last slide, or at least I'm going to stop. Let me look at the next slide, if you would, brother. I think this goes into, yeah, we'll cover this beginning uh, next Sunday evening. Any comments or questions? <clears throat> Tremendous passage. Again, as I said, one of the longest chapters in, in uh, the book of Exodus. As you might imagine, since it's establishing a uh, a uh, spiritual tradition that runs, it was even celebrated today among the Hebrews. Let's pray. Father, bless us this evening as we depart from this place. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Our prayer is that you would protect and provide for each family that is here this evening. We pray that you keep us safe, give us opportunity to share our faith during this coming week and prepare us for the next time we have to look at your word. In Jesus' name we make this prayer. Amen. God bless you.